thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is Mike Vandebogart. Hey, Joe, how's it going? I'm doing good, Mike. Well, once again, welcome to Locations Unknown. Just a quick update, we do have more hats and bumper stickers in stock, so head over to our Facebook store and uh, buy as many hats and stickers as you can afford. It helps, <laughs> <laughs> it helps, uh, helps us keep the lights on here at Locations Unknown. Uh, so this week we're doing something a little different. Normally we will spend a whole episode on one missing person's case. This week we decided to do something a little fun, and we're actually going to be talking about the Alaska Triangle. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, so we'll go into what that is in a little bit uh, more detail, but first, Joe has some information on this week's sponsor. Yes, uh, this week's sponsor, again, is Verger CBD Products. We've talked about them a little bit in the past episodes. They've come out with some new products that we wanted to get in front of you guys, so they have some new honey sticks. So in the last episode, we talked about they had these new revisions called the Relax and Revive, so basically you could take the relaxed stuff in the in at night, go to bed very easily, and in the morning you can take the revival. Well, they started coming out with these honey sticks now, so you can kind of get one dose via a honey stick. They're flying off the shelves. I use them daily. They work great. So head on over to vergermed.com to check out their store. They have lots of other things like chocolates, tinctures, uh, all the things you come to expect from a CBD su- supplier. That is V-E-R-D-U-R-E-M-E-D.com. That's a vergermed.com. Dot com. Okay, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. Alaska a vast desert of isolation and beauty. Known for its towering mountains, rich oil fields, and extreme Bering Sea fishing. Alaska has been the focal point of many television series, movies, and documentaries that recount the lives of the individuals that live, work, and survive there. Among the vast untouched wilderness of sprawling forests, icy mountain peaks, and desolate tundra are the unexplained stories of over 16,000 disappearances. Join us this week as we explore the truth behind the Alaska Triangle. All right, so we're going to open up this week's episode with just some fun facts about Alaska. This is when we'd normally kind of do a location profile, but what I wanted to do since we're having a little bit more fun is come up with some of the fun facts, uh, some interesting things that you might want to recite to other people at parties so they think you're really, really smart. Uh, And then Mike will actually go in to explain what the Alaska Triangle is. So Mike, are you ready for some amazing facts? I, I am. Let's hear them. Did you know... In any given year, 500 to 2,000 people go missing in Alaska, never to be seen again. 
I, I did not know and that. And that is a really <laughs> somber one to open up with after I said we're going to have some fun facts to do with everybody. <laughs> so I, it's funny because I had these written down and I did not read the first one before I said that. So that one's not as fun. But authorities conduct hundreds of rescue missions, most often returning without finding the missing person or evidence at all. And a big reason for that is just the sheer size of Alaska. It's mm-hmm. incredible how big it is. All right, Mike, did you also know, while it is legal to shoot bears in Alaska, so you can shoot bears in Alaska, waking a sleeping bear for the purpose of taking a photograph is prohibited. I, again, did not know that. <laughs> I, I would love to hear the origin story you of that know, law. You know, that's like Bob's <laughs> law. Like a guy yeah. named Bob did something in some remote town, and they're like, you know what, we're just going to outlaw that because Bob keeps screwing <laughs> with all the bears in hibernation. All right. <laughs> Here's another good one. Alaska is the only state name that you can type on one row of a keyboard. And now you're looking yeah. at your keyboard right now, aren't you? <laughs> I had my fingers out and I was fake typing it. Yeah. <laughs> there are more than 3,000 rivers and 3 million lakes in Alaska. So Minnesota really isn't the land of lakes. Oh, no, not even close. <laughs> 3 million lakes. That is an insane that's crazy. There's no way to keep track of all that. Like, I feel like there's probably more and they just gave up. Like, like you know, it's somewhere around 3 million. <laughs> this one I actually did know, but it's still kind of a cool thing. Alaska alone has more coastline than the rest of the United States combined. And that's more than 34,000 miles. So that's basically because it's so, it's like none of it's straight. It's so like rigid up and down, up and down, up and down. The yeah. actual coastline mileage is that long. Interesting. Yep. Alaska has more inland water than any other state. I think that's kind of made obvious by the uh, amount of lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 5% of Alaska is covered by more than 1,000 plus glaciers. Every time I read through these, yeah, like the sheer size of it just keeps gripping me. It's just, it's, it's huge. I think I've seen those maps before where they, they take Alaska and they place it down on the lower 48 and it takes up like half the country. Yeah, it's it's like it's all, huge. yeah, it's more than <clears throat> half the states. It, it's ridiculous how big it is. Yeah. But this, this next ad actually I think plays into a lot of the missing persons because Alaska has the lowest population density in the nation. Mm-hmm. So it's one person per square mile. Wow. So when you divide all the people up, each person can have their own square mile of There's Alaska. probably more bears per square mile. Probably. <laughs> yeah, the bear and moose population are insane. So Mooth. Moose. Did I say moose? <laughs> yeah. Moose. Oh, it's one of it's those okay. days. We're doing we're yeah. doing it. We're doing a different episode. Everything's backwards. Um so <clears throat> Barrow, it's the name of a city. It's eight hundred miles south of the North Pole. Has both the longest and the shortest day. So when the sun rises on May 10th, it doesn't set for nearly three months. So it just kind of goes up and down through the sky for three months. Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah. So that's, uh, well, that's, we're recording this on the 9th. So that's tomorrow. The yeah. sun will rise and stay up there for three months. Uh, and it won't set till November 18th. And then they wow. won't see the sun again for two more months. That's crazy. I mean, we complain here when, you know, in winter when we get... You know, the sun sets at five o'clock. Yeah, like we get the short daylight and we're all like pissed off. Yeah. Can you imagine? It just like goes down and doesn't come back. So think about, <laughs> think about like the first people who settled in Alaska. Like they it, probably thought some crazy like 
<laughs> thing was going on in the sky. I know, right? Like back then when like everything was like related to the first sacrifice time the sun disappeared. Like how many pe- yeah, how many people were sacrificed to make the sun come back? Like seriously. <laughs> like or if they like you, you can imagine somebody coming in there like December like late December. Yeah. And they're like, We found the promised land. The sun stays up for days and then it goes away and never comes back. <laughs> Oh, man. That would mess with your head. All right, here's another funny law. It is illegal to whisper in someone's ear while they are moose hunting in Alaska. Huh. Well, you got to have your con- you know, you- concentration when you're moose hunting, I guess. I know. This one's actually really cool. Um, for anyone who wants to see the Northern Lights, also known as Aurora Borealis, they can be seen an average of 243 days of the year in Fairbanks. That's cool. Yeah, so I mean, most of the year, if you're in Fairbanks, you'll be able to catch the, the Northern I've, Lights. I've actually seen the Northern Lights here in Wisconsin when I was younger. Yeah, it's, um, it's happened a couple times. A like couple times. So, it's really rare, but it does happen. Yeah, so you can imagine what it would look like if you're way up north, if you're already seeing yeah. all the way down in Wisconsin through like the light pollution we have to deal with, too. Yeah. So on the last one, and we'll end on this because otherwise we'll get all tired of facts. So accidental accidental injuries are the third highest cause of death in Alaska, twice the national incident rate. Uh, and so this is from the Alaskan Division of Public Health. In addition to car accidents, this category of fatalities can also include people falling down mountains or slipping into spaces between glaciers called crevasses. So those are the ones where a lot of times they never find the people. And yeah. I, there's like the stories of people that are mountain climbing and they're not you know, mm-hmm. belaying properly or tethered to each other and they'll fall down a crevasse Yeah, and there's so many cracks and crevices and things you can get stuck in that you could like hear the person and never find them. Mm-hmm. It ends up being like a needle in a haystack because they could fall down like a hundred feet and be stuck and alive and you'd just never be able to get them out. Yeah. So that, that'd be insane. So Outside of that, um, of those accidental deaths, drowning is the third highest cause. Many times the cold temperatures cause the body to sink to the bottom of the water rather than to float on top, adding to another challenge of finding the missing people. So you can imagine with three million lakes that there's probably a lot of people falling in those lakes and they they never get found because it's just, how would you search that? Jeez. I don't even want to think about that. Like you're swimming yeah. in a lake. It's like how many bodies are here that and they don't <laughs> float up because of the temperature, so they're just down there decomposing. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're done with facts. I want to learn more about the Alaska Triangle because from this approach, Mike, you did most of the research on it and I kinda wanted to come in a little cold so yeah. I could learn along with the rest of the listeners. So the, you know, some people listening may be familiar with what the Alaska Triangle is. It's been the subject of many TV shows on channels like Discovery and the History Channel. It's, you know, been popularized in an episode of the X-Files. So, you know, it's made its rounds in popular culture, but the, the phrase Alaska Triangle really didn't come into existence into like the public existence until about 1972 when a politician a very prominent politician went missing and we'll get into that case a little bit later the the Alaskan Triangle uh, starts at the state's largest city of Anchorage in the south and then connects to Juneau in the southeast panhandle and then goes all the way north up to Barrow which is a small town on the state's uh, northern coast 
and we'll post a picture of the Alaskan tri- Triangle, but basically, you know, just picture a map of Alaska and, you know, plop a triangle kind of right down in the middle of it, and it takes up a, a good swath of the state. So it's covering and a lot of land. It's covering a lot of land, and the really uh, kind of scary part about the Alaska Triangle is that roughly one in every 250 people that enter into the triangle at some point disappear. So that's a that's, that's not very good crazy. odds. Yeah, that's yeah. not very good odds. And um, even more startling is since 1988, over 16,000 people have gone missing in the Alaska Triangle, which uh, is I think it's twice the national average of you know missing people anywhere else in the country. That's see, that's and, crazy too because yeah, it is a big chunk. But that's yeah. a lot of people for just that area. So that's like excluding people who went outside of that triangle and went missing. So that's yeah, 16,000 people in that triangle since 88. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. And, you know, they uh, there's some statistics out there. Uh, in 2007, for example, there were 2,833 people that were reported missing. And when you compare just that... Just in 2007? Just in 2007, this was just in the triangle. When you compare that to the state's overall population of 670,000 people, it equates to about four in every 1,000 people go missing. So Jeez. it's it's a, a really big problem and an issue. And you know, I'm sure people that live in Alaska are well aware of you know the disappearances. And obviously, a lot of these people that are going missing are probably tourists and people not from Alaska. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. When that you rate doesn't mean no population left. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's you know it dwarfs the Bermuda Triangle. I think I read a stat somewhere that in the history of the Bermuda Triangle, there's only about a thousand disappearances that are unexplained in the in history of the whole Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> and Alaska and does that in six months. Ala- <laughs> the Alaska Triangle doubles or triples that in you know usually just one year. Jeez. Uh, so it's a staggering number of people that have gone missing and. Like we said, most of these cases are never solved. They never even find a trace of these people. Um, so, well, think about it. it. You, they have sixteen thousand unsolved missing persons cases. Yeah. You, I mean, like how how would you even keep track of ones that you might be able to solve? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's staggering. Once we get into uh, what the, we'll get into the case that really kicked off the the Alaska Triangle name. But in that case, I, I, I noted that the search area covered 32,000 square miles, which is the equivalent of South Carolina. So it's... Oh, man. That was just the search area for this one you know case. So you can imagine that you know probably a lot of these missing persons cases don't get solved because it's just so remote and it's such a vast landscape that, you know, can you imagine you're you know, planes are going to, you know, are only going to have a distance. There's nowhere for them to land some, you know, in the kind of interior of Alaska too. So they can only go so far. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of it's completely untouched, unexplored still. Yeah. Because there's no reason to go out there. And the Alaska Triangle obviously covers all kinds of terrain. You've got, you know, mountains and valleys and lots of lakes and rivers. It's not just flat, snowy, desolate desert. Exactly. And you've got glaciers. And we're actually... We're going to get into a little bit later some of the, 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 you know, the interesting theories surrounding the Alaska Triangle from kind of the, you know, the more common, plausible to, I don't know, some the you know, paranormal. pretty far out to the paranormal. So I'm excited. 
Yeah, it's so gonna be a good we're one. gonna have we we have a we've highlighted a couple cases. We're not gonna go into them in too much detail, but uh, Joe is gonna start. Wait, us we're not off gonna do two. all sixteen thousand. <laughs> no, yeah, unfortunately, we don't have we don't have the this time to do that. This is part one of 12,000 12, episodes of the Alaska right? Triangle. So, uh, Joe, why don't you tell us about the first two cases, and then I'll briefly mention the third one that I found. Yeah, these are these are some of the more high-profile ones that if you have heard of the Alaska Triangle, you've definitely come across these stories. So the first one we'll start with was the disappearance of the House Majority Leader, Hale Boggs, and Representative Nick Bijik. And in 19, good. Yeah, in 1972, <laughs> they're in an airplane uh, carrying these two prominent politicians. And alongside them was Russell Brown and a bush pilot, Don Johns. They just mysteriously vanished in the region while on their way back from Anchorage to Juneau. So they were flying in a Cessna, a Cessna 310 aircraft, and they just disappeared, completely gone. So because of the how high profile these individuals were, an intense search went off immediately because they're, you know, they're thinking it could be some type of espionage or something. It could be related to a government thing rather than a paranormal thing. So they spent 39 days with 400 aircraft, an SR-71, dozens of boats, including 12 from the Coast Guard. The search, the search area, as you said, covered 32,000 square miles, which is the size of North Carolina. Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina, yes. Um, I just wanted to highlight, uh, it's really cool that they actually used it. It's SR-71 Blackbird. Yeah. Um, if any of you out there are aviation buffs, you'll know that it's one of the fastest, highest flying planes ever built by humans. It's, uh, I've, I've, I think I was, I, when I was younger, I saw one at the Oshkosh Air Show, and it's just a magnificent aircraft. It's one of those ones that when it flies over, you don't hear it till it's already gone. Yeah, it flies so high, you can't even see it. The, the U.S. government used it for spying on, you know, Russia and a lot of different countries during the Cold War. It's a, it's yeah, a really it's one where they have amazing. to wear like spacesuits when they're piloting it, right? Because there's like yeah. no atmosphere at all. And, yep. So it, it's it's really cool. That just shows you the, the you know how high profile this case was. I mean, a house house majority leader. If I've got my succession plan right in my head, I think they're third in line. If a, if you know if the president and vice president dies, I think house majority leader is kind of third in line. Yeah, they're they're in the top five for sure. So yeah. I mean, this is a big deal. So they they brought out everything. Yep. And keep in mind, they they're tracking the flight plan all the time too. So when this thing disappears, it kicks off this intense search. Yeah. No evidence of a plane was ever found. So yeah. they declared the man dead. Uh, at the time, a lot of conspiracy theories were popping up about the disappearance. They thought that J. Edgar Hoover orchestrated it and then covered it up. Uh, he was the FBI director at the time. And they thought it was in response to political struggles he had with Boggs. Uh, but to this day, no trace of the plane or the men have ever been found. So, and what's crazy about this is that, you know, being Alaska, take heavily trafficked with a grain of salt. Yeah. But the two cities they were flying between were the two biggest cities in Alaska. Going yeah. from Anchorage to Juneau is a very heavily trafficked flight path. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were going in a puddle jumper to one of the three million lakes in the middle of nowhere. No. Uh, they were going from a major city to a major city in Alaska and along the way just vanished. So that was a pretty big that was a pretty big one. And it, you know, again, if people aren't familiar with aircraft, a Cessna three ten is not, you know, it's not a passenger jet. It's not a it's not like a Learjet or it's a pretty slow moving fixed wing 
if you you can picture it, it's got the wing on the top of the fuselage, and they don't go very fast. And if you lose engine power in a Cessna, experienced pilot, especially these guys that fly around Alaska, they're you know they're probably going to be able to set this thing down somewhere. Yeah, unless... that's what's key. I think what's key about your comment is a jet will fall from the sky because it needs to be yeah. jet propelled to stay a lift, if you will. The Cessna's aloft. Yeah, aloft, a lift, aloft. Um, I've heard it both ways. I no, know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, with these you can kind of glide, so it's yeah. there's a, there's a lot there's a bigger room for error. Whereas, and a lot of people this are more terrified of them because they're so tiny. If you've ever yep. seen a show where they're dropping drugs or drug running, this is like the plane of choice because it's easy yeah. to fly. Yep. So yeah, that's a you know an interesting case. Yeah, so that's that's like the biggest one that will pop up when you talk. That's about the Alaska one that Triangle. kicked off the Alaska Triangle kind of. That's what got it into the public, you know, view. Was yeah, he's this like case. the Amelia Earhart of the Alaska Triangle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although they just found her, so that's that's dead now. Yep. So, all right, we'll go on to number two. So this one is now way more paranormal. This is a UFO case from 1986. A Japanese plane was flying from Iceland to Anchorage when it came across three UFOs. They had three unidentified flying objects, which followed the airliner for approximately 400 miles through the triangle. So one of the objects was reported to be twice the size of the aircraft. No, twice the size of an aircraft carrier. twice, Twice the size of an aircraft carrier. Yeah. The other two were smaller in size. So the crew reported seeing flashing lights following their plane, and air traffic controllers also witnessed something unidentifiable on the radar that was reportedly as close to five miles from the plane. The pilot claimed that at point, the two smaller ships appeared directly in front of the plane and at pretty close range. He described the two small ships and the mother ship disappearing and reappearing quickly, moving fast and stopping suddenly, which is impossible for an airplane to do because you need to be moving to have lift. Yep. In order to escape the UFOs, the pilot received permission from ground crew to fly to lower altitude while making several turns to elude the objects. Basically, they just kept sticking with the plane. Now, they couldn't do anything to evade them. Mm-hmm. And then after about 32 minutes, the UFOs just disappeared. Although the pilots claimed that he thought the entire counter lasted much longer than that. This is one of those very typical eyewitness accounts of objects moving erratically in the atmosphere, which is just something that I always say, like I can believe people see stuff like that because it's so out of place. And I think when you have pilots, you know, either military pilots or, you know, airline pilots or even, uh, you know, amateur pilots, I think you have to take, when they report seeing a you know a UFO or some type of object in the sky, I think you have to take their encounter a little more serious than maybe someone on the ground because pilots are trained to constantly scan the horizon. They're looking for other aircraft because obviously you've got radar to and you know to help see where planes are, but they still are looking throughout the sky to make sure they're not going to fly into something. So pilots become very adept at spotting other planes in front of them and so that you know they're very aware of their yeah, they're not distracted so. like if you're just pulling driving your car and you see something there's music yeah. you might have been having a couple of drinks you might be on a date there's a lot of distractions where if you're piloting an airplane like that's your focus yeah so i think anytime you hear of a pilot reporting ufo 
you know, I think you got to take that. That's a little more credible in my mind. I would agree with you. Credibility goes way up, especially when you're getting into military level type stuff. Yeah. So yeah, another really interesting case. This one I know made the news back in the day and obviously right in the, the heart of the Alaskan triangle. So an interesting case. So, uh, I'll wrap up the third case I found, and obviously there's you can go out on Google and find there's cases of all kinds of weird stuff going on. We just pulled these because uh, you know we found them interesting. Now this case actually goes back uh, well before the Alaska Triangle was really coined. It actually goes back to the 50s. So a Douglas C4 Skymaster was flying through the Alaskan Triangle with eight military personnel and 36. Uh, civilians, the plane abruptly lost contact with the ground and was never heard from again. So again, you had kind of the same type of thing happen that happened to the um, House Majority Leader, and this time it was a military plane. And are these these? And I uh, this is something I don't know. And I know Mike, you're totally in airplanes. So is this so C fifty four? Is that like size comparison to like a standard passenger jet we'd see nowadays? Bigger, smaller. You know, I give me one second here. I I, I feel like looked. if there's, I mean, there's there's at least <laughs> so, thirty six okay. passengers and eight crew. So I mean, it's not we're not talking Cessna for sure. Yeah. So it's it's a um, it's a four engine prop plane that it kind of looks like a you think of like a nineteen fifty style airliner. Oh, like the one in Indiana Jones when he's boxing that dude. Yeah, they said uh, the C. Yeah, the C. That's immediately what I thought of. <laughs> yeah, the Skymaster was derived from a civilian airliner, the Douglas DC-4. So, um, this is a military variant of uh, a DC-4, which was an airliner at the time back in the. I think it was first introduced in 1942. So it had a length. Okay. It was 94 feet long, and a range of you know 3,900 miles. So, this military plane went missing. Never heard from again. And the Army ended up, at the time, conducting the largest military search and rescue mission ever. And uh, granted, this was in the 1950s. Yeah, so. it was before the House Majority Leader went missing. Yeah, so they this there's not a lot of details on this, but the, you know, the military conducted this massive search and rescue, found nothing. To this day, it's known as one of the largest groups of military personnel to go missing. And an interesting... Tidbit, there were during the time of this disappearance, there were two separate reports of UFO activity in the area. Like independent of the plane missing? Yes. So there was one report of UFO activity about a week before the plane went missing, and another one two days after it was already missing. What does that mean to this missing plane? Who knows? But it's it's just interesting that people were, you know, separate reports of UFO activity in that area was happening. And, you know, this plane goes missing. So, oh, they got beamed up. Yeah, <laughs> they got beamed up. Uh, so, yeah, that those are, uh, you know, a couple of the cases we wanted to highlight from the Alaska Triangle because there, there's so many cases out there we could have we could have went with. But let's break it down now into there's going to be some more stories, but also talking about I would call them different categories and then starting with plausible going through paranormal and when okay. i when i say that i'd say more of fact things we can touch see smell versus stories eyewitness accounts with no t- 
tangible evidence outside of just basic eyewitness. Yeah, so obviously the the most plausible theories on what's happening to these people are severe weather and terrain and landscape, basically. I've never been to Alaska. I'm actually going there later this year, but you know, Alaska has wild swings in weather in the summer. It can get really warm. In the winter, it can get as cold as minus 30, 40 degrees below zero with incredibly cold wind chills. Uh, lots of, you know, snowfall. Well, we've seen, if anyone's watched the Bering Sea show and like the fishing shows, yeah. how quickly super violent storms can just plow through and freeze the harbor up or completely. Yep. So like, it's like that also hits land. Yeah. So like, it's not just that crazy on the sea. So, yeah, so you've got the element of weather and then you have the element of land, you know, landscape and terrain. So Alaska has uh, one thing I didn't know is Alaska has 100 active volcanoes, which is crazy. There's lots of glaciers that Joe mentioned earlier. Uh, when you're hiking around glaciers, you can fall into these crevasses that are, you know, so deep they're not going to find you if you fall into it. Yeah. There's lots of hazards from alpine environments, mountains. You've got lots of rivers and lakes that you can fall into. And then, like I said, the weather, you can, there's a very high risk of exposure in the winter. Uh, if you get caught out in minus 50 or 60 degree wind chills, your skin, you're going to have frostbite and hypothermia within minutes. Unless you've shelter, you're done for in that type of situation. Interesting thing is they actually get severe weather in the summertime. So they don't necessarily, I don't think there's a reported tornado in Alaska, but they yeah, do get too mountainous for a tornado. Yeah, they do get um, they do get severe storms. There was a news report out of um, I don't know wh- what city it was out of might have been just out of Anchorage, but they had a thunderstorm where they had lightning monitors detecting tens of thousands of lightning strikes across the state during a two week period from June 29th to July 3rd. So even in the summer, you know, if you're hiking up on a mountain, you you could have a high risk of, you know, lightning strikes. Uh, so, you know, it's a very active climate and there's a lot of ways it can get you. The terrain is very rugged and there's vast swaths of Alaska that are, you know, more or less unexplored. There, there may be people living out in the wilderness. I know there's a, there's like mountain men and different shows oh, that yeah. follow those people. The people who like, I'm sure they do it just for TV, but it seems like every season it's, your, their one goal is to get wood and food for winter, and they just put it off, and then all yeah. of a sudden it's like a week before winter, and they haven't done it yet. And Right. Yeah, I've, so, I, I'm sure some people actually do it on accident, and then that could mean your life. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a plausible reason for why a lot of these people are going missing could be the weather and the terrain and a combination with how vast Alaska is that it makes it really hard for people to find find you when you go missing or if your plane goes down it might be impossible to find the wreckage severe weather and terrain i think are up there in some of the most plausible reasons one of the other theories that i had on here was animal attack obviously probably everyone knows that alaska is known for their bear populations i think they're like we were saying earlier there's more bears per square mile than people yeah and it's it's not black bears which are still dangerous but we're like Alaskan yeah. grizzly bears. Yeah. Just but huge. It, the interesting thing, too, is actually uh, moose in Alaska injure more people than bears do every year. I could see so, that. Are they yeah. saying are they saying an attack or even just because they exist, like hitting a moose with your van? Um, I think it's 
it's partly it's a little of both. So I know we've both hiked in areas where there's moose, and if you get too close to a bull, it's gonna start coming at you. But in Alaska, they said the the moose outnumber the bears by uh, three to one in Alaska. So there's there's just moose everywhere, and I think because there's so many of them that and they they kind of encroach into human areas. So I know in Anchorage there's you know, videos of moose, like going through people's garbage and, um, and they're just so big. They're huge. But that um, actually reminds me of, so like my whole love for the outdoors started in high school. I was in conservation club and once a year, there's the big trip. We'd go up to the boundary waters for two weeks straight. It was amazing. We, we'd canoe all the way up into Canada yeah. go for two weeks, but they, we would always get a talk about safety, about the different animals and stuff. And a bunch of city kids from Wisconsin, go up there and we're thinking, oh, black bears, grizzly bears. The range are pretty much focused entirely on moose yep. because they don't give up trying to kill you. Like where a bear, if a bear's going to attack you, it's because it determines you're a threat. Where yeah. a moose will just attack you because a moose is crazy. Mm-hmm. And they said pretty much all you can do is climb trees to get away because yeah. they're faster than you and the, they will just, they won't stop. You're going to get tired and they're going to be coming after you. And he was telling us a story about a guy who, shimmied up a tree to stay away from the moose and the moose just rammed the tree over and over again for like an hour Jeez, just with his head it was taking chunks out of the tree and then finally gave up and walked walked away and like a quarter of the tree was like taken out like someone was hitting with an axe yeah so moose moose are nuts on average 10 people injured by moose attacks annually in alaska so i mean that's not a huge low to me actually yeah. yeah that's i would have guessed it was way more well, now this gets even more interesting. So obviously, you know, there's a an issue with moose because there's just so many of them. Now, you would probably think there's probably tons of fatal bear attacks in Alaska. You'd actually be I would wrong. think that, and I yeah, do. Yeah, you would think that. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm wrong. <laughs> but you're wrong. So in from 1997 to 2017, there were only four fatal black bear attacks in Alaska, and overall, including black bears, brown bears, which I think in Alaska are grizzly bears, and polar bears, there there have only been 10 fatal attacks in Alaska. That so, is actually a staggering number in the regards to how small it is. Yeah. So, I mean, now these are, you know, 10 fatal attacks means that someone was attacked and their remains were identified. So there, oh, could, so there, could, there be could be ones that people, are unsolved. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there could be people that go missing and get attacked by. A bear I would, and... I would bet the farm that that's the case. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there, there's only ten reported fatal bear attacks in Alaska from '97 to 2017, but still, even only you know ten reported attacks is is really small. And I mean, it just it shows you that even though there's a lot of bears in Alaska, it's generally the risk of you being attacked by one is probably obviously a, a lot lower than a car accident or, you know, a number of other ways that you could be killed. But, you know, though that between, you know, animal attacks and, uh, the, the weather and the terrain, those are kind of the, the most plausible that, you know, you can think of for what's causing these disappearances in the Alaska triangle. I think I'm starting to understand why they say depression such a big deal in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of like, things that can kill you. Oh my God. It seems like if you live there, you just eventually have to accept your mortality. Yeah. Like, 
going to the store. I love you in case I don't come back. Like, like just a normal day life. Every time you step outside might be your last. And everyone's just like, eh, it's all right. And yeah. Think back I mean, to like during like the Dust Bowl era, like people had so many kids, not because they love kids, because they just expected them to die. Like people that live in Alaska, it's like, eh, a bunch of us aren't going to be around next year. <laughs> and just everyone's fine with it. Like, well, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's a hostile terrain yeah. and it's, it's mostly untouched by humans. And, you know, there's a lot of big animals out in the woods that can, could really but do some damage. here's the thing though, and this is what's, and this is probably the draw. I could totally live in Alaska. <laughs> like yeah. after knowing all this, like I would still potentially go live there. Like this seclusion and every now and then like get away from the hustle and bustle and just kind of live raw. Like that's yeah. the place to go if you really want to live raw. So... Uh, getting past the the first two most plausible theories, now we're gonna we're gonna kind of have some fun and we're gonna go into some of the more out there theories. Yeah, uh, now we got all the boring plausible stuff out of the way. Let's get into <laughs> the the good the good meat. So um, the first theory, obviously, I wanted to touch on is aliens. Of course. I just picture that guy from Ancient Aliens with the big hair going, it's aliens. Well, clearly. All 16,000. Um, yeah. So interesting stat is, I got this from the National UFO Reporting Center, is that since 1998, there's been over 560 reported UFOs in Alaska with the majority of the sightings in the Alaska Triangle. So um, people are, you know, and... 560 doesn't sound like a huge number, but when you, you know, compare that to how uh, desolate Alaska is, there's not that many people living there. It's a pretty large number. Yeah, and that's only in 11 years, so it's not since 88. It's from 98. So, uh, all right, 20, uh, 20 yeah, 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that's that's what I meant. So when I was researching on the alien theory, I came across a book. A, night, a book written in 1997 uh, called Remote Viewers by a guy named Jim Schnabel. Now, this this is a really interesting theory on what's going on in the Alaskan tri- Triangle. Do you want to hear it, Joe? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> Badly. I'm on the so, edge of my seat. Obviously, a lot of people have reported UFOs in Alaska with the majority of them happening in the Alaska Triangle. Now, this is a very interesting theory on a large alien base in the Alaskan Triangle. So a book came out in 1997 called Remote Viewers by the author uh, Jim Schnabel. He tells the story of the U.S. intelligence community's involvement in the controversial issue of psychic spying that largely began in the early to mid-1970s. So, Oh, this is like, a- this is like um, what they're doing with Eleven in, in uh, Stranger Things. The whole method of they're in the basement somewhere trying to spy on the Russians via psychic telepathy. So, and it, you know, there's kind of a coincidence that this U.S. Intelligent, intelligence project started happening in the 70s and that politician went missing. But a, a man by the name of Pat Price, so this is in the book, he was talented in remote viewing matters related to UFOs and he noted that he was the opinion that Alaska's Mount Hayes, the jewel of the glacier range in uh, northeast of Anchorage, housed one of the aliens' largest bases. So, so we had like a physical alien base in Mount Hayes. 
somewhere in Mount Hayes, according to this remote viewer, Pat Price, uh, who Schnabel writes about in his book. So we're um, talking. So this this Pat Price. Yeah. Just just to bring everything to pop culture for for reference. So they're doing the Stranger Things stuff. Pat Price is eleven, and he saw this alien base in Mount Hayes via telepathy. Wait, is that really in Stranger Things? Yeah, you remember how they open up that how they open up the whole show where they got that that girl and they'll put her in the tank, and then huh. they show up they show them the they show her the picture of like a politician in Russia. Yeah, and then they can hear him speaking over the loudspeaker. Wow. She's using her power to like listen in. You've watched that show, right? I have not. <laughs> what? I'm gonna have to now. <laughs> it's a fantastic dude. I love Stranger Things. They're on two seasons. The third one's coming out in July. It's so good. I'll have to. So obviously, it must be based on this actual guy named Pat it, Price. It, it. I don't know about that because this is the first time I'm hearing about this. But I'm just trying yeah. to for listeners that at, like get out and do things. Although I can't, I can't, hold on. I have to take that back because you have to stay in to watch it. So you're yeah. probably out doing things, and I'm at home sitting on my ass watching Netflix. Um, but yeah, that's basically what they. It's like an underground installation where they are using enhanced human beings to try and spy on the Russians. Yeah, and this is like it seems exactly like what they're trying to do, and that's all I'm picturing now. So obviously the. The accusation, or you know, alleging that there's an alien base in this mountain is you know pretty far out there. But I, I we do know for a fact that the U.S. government was at one point experimenting in this type of spying. Obviously, who knows how successful they were if they were at all successful. But it's interesting to note the government was actually working on projects like this. Yeah, because they they've declassified documents, like official yeah. documents that budget for it, and they name people who are in the project that have died so they can uncover the name like they put money and resources into these things yeah so uh you know continuing uh through this book uh schnabel writes according to price the aliens that lived deep inside mount hayes were very human looking differing only in their heart lungs blood and eyes ominously he added that the aliens use thought transfer for more motor control of people price added the site has also been responsible for strange activity and malfunction of U.S. and Soviet space objects. So, you know, wow. this kind of if you're connecting the dots here, so you've got these weird programs starting up in the 70s. People are claiming that they, you know, they're happening in Alaska, and now suddenly you have, you know, planes disappearing, and maybe you know, to take this one step further, may you know, if these beings are true. Uh, maybe they're controlling people that wander out into the, the nature and they're taking them somewhere. So well, and there's the whole there's the whole thing too about when you look at the acceleration of the space race and how we as a people went from very basic mechanical technology to landing on the moon, yeah, and satellites in orbit. It happened very rapidly, and this is where a lot of the theories come out about alien. Sounds like involved. an ancient aliens episode. Well, it's it sounds like an ancient <laughs> alien episode. It's it's definitely sounds like the the Rogan podcast when he had Alex Jones on for four and a oh. half hours. But they're talking about <laughs> like because there's a lot of people who say you know they're taking MDMA MDMA to talk to these other beings and they're getting yeah. technical designs and all these drawings from these encounters, and that's how we have so much of the technology that we have today. And this is 
you have all of these reports all hovering around this time period of, you know, I think of like the Cambrian explosion back, you know, a billion years ago when all of a sudden there's plant life appeared on earth. Like, I feel like that's what happened technologically to us as a civilization within like a 10 year window. All of a sudden we are in space. Yeah. And I mean, there's a documentary on Amazon that you can rent. I can't remember the name of it. I should have wrote it down, but they basically this, they interview this guy who allegedly said he worked at Area 51 back in the 80s, reverse engineering alien technology. So, yeah, which which we've always been told was not a real place. And then, what was it, 10 years ago? They're like, yeah, it's real. Like, now it's, <laughs> it's, it's not in commission anymore. So, yeah, here it is. It really was a secret base. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a common theme um, throughout the last couple decades. You, you've got a quite, you know, quite a few different military people that are retired now that have claimed one way or the other that they've worked on you know, reverse engineering of alien technology. And um, it, this book does note, too, that, um, you know, despite the controversial nature of this story, uh, you know, we find that the U.S. military took a great deal of interest in tales of UFO activity in Alaska in the formative years of these projects. For example, formally classified FBI files tell of startling UFO encounters in Alaska in the period of 1947 through 1950. So, you know, this goes along the lines of other declassified documents that show the U.S. government was documenting these different occurrences. Well, it's not even just witnessing, it's interacting with. Yeah. So you have stories of uh, fighter pilots interacting with UFOs. And, you know, the government obviously has some interest in this because they're they're cataloging it they're spending resources trying to figure out what's going on but you know so this was an interesting story about you know aliens and it tied back into the alaska triangle and you know i'm curious now i wonder if that book's on amazon it, it might be a, a you know an interesting read <laughs> oh yeah um, absolutely yeah so uh that covers the alien theory and obviously there's like I said, there's, oh, there's way more, but yeah, I think that's like, that covers the breadth of it and we can't do this forever, but no. Yeah. There's, there's so much there. And like, like I always say, like the logical and reasonable side of my mind just is always fighting this because I think I've Hollywooded alien encounter experiences too much to like, no, there's not this spinning saucer with all these lights, like landing down these green guys coming out and saying hi, but there are legitimately unexplained events and things that occur and they all seem to fit together yeah, within a time period, locations and things like that, that are just too coincidental to be coincidences. Yeah. So um, moving on from aliens, we're going to move on to another one that I think everyone probably thinks of, Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously with huge amounts of forest and uncharted wilderness, Alaska would be the perfect location for Bigfoot otherwise known as Sasquatch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, It doesn't take a lot of, you know, hard research to figure out that there's been a ton of Bigfoot sightings over the years in Alaska. There's numerous reports of Bigfoot sightings throughout the entire state. Some reports include evidence of nesting sites, possible Bigfoot skeleton was found at one point, unidentified hair samples, uh, some witnesses have even reported seeing a swimming, a swimming Sasquatch during their encounters. Um, Just doing a breaststroke, like, yeah, in one of the three million lakes. Um, <laughs> now, the next next couple 
bits I'm. Well, you know why we can't find Sasquatch, right? I know. I know the answer. Do you know the answer? I don't. Why is it? Because John Lithgow (laughs) is just hiding him too well. (laughs) (laughs) Was that not one of your favorite movies when you were a kid? Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I oh man, it's been so long since I, I've seen that. I mean, think of hold on. We're gonna take a side break here because think about when I look back at like movies we watch as kids, like Beethoven. Like you grow up thinking, like, oh, what a great story about a family who got a dog. I watched it with as an adult with my kids. It's a story about a dog that was stolen to be used by a bullet-making company to test the lethality of bullets by shooting dogs point blank with a handgun. What? <laughs> so now I know what everyone's thinking. No way. Go look that up. They're testing the lethality of a bullet and how splattery it was by shooting live dogs in the head, and that's why they wanted that dog. And this is so, a children's movie. Exactly. Like I didn't I didn't get that at all when I was a kid. Then I watched this adult, like, oh my gosh. So Harry and the Hendersons is a story about a family on a trip that literally hits Bigfoot with their car. <laughs> and their response to killing it is to load it in the vehicle and bring it home. And then the thing wakes up, and their next response is to try and domesticate it. <laughs> and when the neighbors start coming around to be like, hey, what's all that noise? What's going on in there? John Lithgow takes it back out in the wilderness and is like, go back to your home. Get out of here. Yeah, but like <laughs> Bigfoot doesn't want to leave, so he's like, we hate you. Go. Like He's trying to like get them all upset and thinking they don't love him anymore. Like, What a weird movie. I and I loved it. <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I'll have to at some point rewatch it. That's oh, sounds... it's a it's such a great movie. Um, well, that was a nice little sidebar. Yeah. And... Well, that's why no one can find Bigfoot. John Lithgow's got him locked up still. Well, there you go. Um, so getting back to the theory of Bigfoot. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of reports of, you know, smaller villages, people relocating because of terrifying encounters with Bigfoot. Um, and I, I have a couple, now these go back quite a ways. They go back to the forties and fifties, but I've got different little tidbits, you know, little stories about Bigfoot that I was able to find. So, so wait, people moved because of an encounter. Oh yeah. They were so scared. That, that's, they literally moved. Yeah. That's different than like. Oh, like the guy in town that's always kind of saying crazy stuff. Like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he's smoking a cigarette outside the store. Like, oh, yeah, I've seen Bigfoot. Like, yeah, he's around here all the time. Like, these people legitimately ran into, quote, unquote, Bigfoot and moved. Yeah. So uh, near near the town of Peterson, this goes way back, there were stories told from 1900 to 1925 about a trapper that went into the woods and disappeared shortly after reporting exceptionally large tracks in the snow. The strangest story ever told by Virginia Culp documents this incredible eerie encounter in further detail. Uh, Near the town of Ruby, in 1943, it was reported that a man was attacked by an unknown creature in the wilderness about 18 miles down the Yukon from the town of Ruby. He later died of internal injuries, and the creature that attacked him uh, was said to have been run off by his dog team. So this Uh, guy was like still alive and kind of recounting what happened, and then he died of his injuries later. Then in uh, Bristol Bay, 1940, near the town of uh, Kaluka, a group of ladies was berry picking when they reportedly came upon a large man-like creature with long hair running down his back. They later went on to capture 
This creature cage it and feed it. It later died, and the story was documented in a letter from the cage keeper. <laughs> oh, oh, so wait, wait, wait. This is Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It, it happened in 1940. Whoa. Um, so um, first, I thought it was just Dog the Bounty Hunter, and yeah, right. He was just in Alaska. Uh, Catch a can. Is did I say it right? I think, I think so. You, yeah, it was like you, that's the like uh, Alaskan word for it, like Kichitakan or something like that. So this is a town, and uh, this this southeast town holds some pretty wild tales of the in the of the past. In 1956, about Kushtaka. 50 miles, that's what it is. Kushtaka. Is, okay, this is, is Ketchikan. So in 1956, about 50 miles southwest of Ketchikan, a man that was out fishing reported seeing an eight foot tall creature that was around 400 pounds and walked on two feet like an ape. There was also a young boy that reported similar sighting nearby in 1960 and recreated the encounter by screaming and running off as fast as possible. Um, wow. Port Chatham, also known as Portlock, this eerie small village on the Kenai Peninsula was home to so many Bigfoot sightings that the entire population eventually fled due to an overwhelming amount of fear. For a period of time t- during the 1900s, Torn up bodies were washing up on the shores of the small village, making the people believe that it had to be the evil Sasquatch spirits that roamed the woods. Wow. So, uh, one more here. I won't keep reading these. No, I think these uh, are crazy because I've never, <laughs> I've always heard about Bigfoot. And no one's, yeah. like, I've, I've watched a couple of the Finding Bigfoot shows. Yep. How come they're not anywhere in the Alaska Triangle? Like, are they just too afraid to go to where apparently the Bigfoot is? I, yeah, I don't know. Um, the the last uh, story I'll read, this is near the town of Wrangell. Uh, multiple Bigfoot sightings occurred in this area during the early 1900s. One includes a man that was berry picking in the woods and was awakened by the sounds of a massive man-like creature having a conversation nearby. <laughs> Another story in this area is about a tall Bigfoot creature that actually ended up carrying a three-year-old back to her home after she wandered off into the woods without anyone noticing her. So, so, so I mean... Uh, just two Bigfoots having tea. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, the mythology of Bigfoot is you know huge in Alaska, and these are just a couple of the stories I found about Bigfoot, and... You know, if you read any of the missing 401 books, there's a you know kind of a common thread of berry patches and things like that. I was going to so, say, apparently you shouldn't be picking berries in the Alaska Triangle because you will no. encounter Bigfoot for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've covered now um, terrain and weather. Yep. Aliens and Bigfoot. And animal attacks. And animal attacks. So terrains and weather and animal attacks aliens, UFOs, and Bigfoot. And each of those categories, we've touched on just a few of the stories, but there are significantly more stories in each of those categories so far of those 16 plus thousand disappearances. I'll I'll try to breeze through some of these because I know we're probably pushing up on our time here. Oh, that um, does not matter in this episode. (laughs) Just keep going. Uh, Just let's keep, let's keep going here. These are, this is incredible. So um, the next theory, this one is a, this one's a little funny at the end. So there's a, it's called the gnome serial killer. So the story goes around 2005, people began to notice that a large percentage of residents and tourists who went missing in Alaska happened to disappear from the city of Nome. 
Uh, so in fact, the numbers became so worrisome that rumors of a serial killer began to run rampant throughout uh, local topics of conversation. Uh, and in the article I read, they mentioned that it totally ruined the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so We had such a good vibe going in Gnome until we thought there's a serial killer. So, um, well, there's probably know, like 40 people there. So it's like, yeah, you probably know if there is a serial killer, like you're probably friends with that person. So, uh, it gets funnier. Uh, so actually <laughs> before I get to what, you know, the official theory was here with the gnome serial killer, uh, this panic in the, the town of gnome eventually caught the ear of the FBI. So the FBI came in and they were investigating the possible serial killer because people were. Wow, so it got big enough that the FBI came in. Yeah, but they came in, they did their investigation, and they didn't find any evidence of a serial killer. Okay. And uh, they concluded that it might be Gnome's fault all along. <laughs> like, so, like the city? Uh, like the people living there. Oh, okay. So um, <laughs> Alaska is known to have one of the highest ratio of alcohol-free towns in America, but Gnome is not one of those towns. And yes. Those people okay. love to party. Um, which is why a lot of people flock to Nome. So, the so like the whole theory, area is dry except for Nome. So it's just a, a hub for debauchery. Yeah. So this is right from the article. It said, so now you have a bunch of drunk visitors wandering off alone into the woods to take a pee maybe. And then suddenly they get eaten by a bear or stolen by aliens <laughs> or, or seduced by the otter man. <laughs> or they pass out and freeze to death. Snowed under... <laughs> Gone and added to the list. Forgotten already. <laughs> I, love, I, love, oh, I love how they just start out with like normal, reasonable things and sandwich in there. Just three completely insane, crazy narratives followed up by something normal. Yeah. <laughs> like we're just going to. Yeah. I mean, they probably just wanted to go pee and then got attacked or, or, you know, stolen by aliens, seduced by the otter man. Yeah. Or, you know, if that doesn't happen, they probably just froze to death. Like, <laughs> so, so uh yeah that's a really funny um theory that you the know otter they, man. They f- so yeah why don't we just uh segue into the otter man so that's the kushtaka that's what alaska natives call kushtaka so that town yeah. just kind of sounded like it um i don't really i don't know how to say this word it's tlingit shape-shifting demon so uh the theory goes there are I many different any- i don't think anyone knows how to say that word yeah like. Uh, the theory goes there are many different theories regarding all the disappearances in the Alaska trial. One of them includes the evil spirits associated with the native Tlingit people who live in the area. So these people are said to have uh, have origins dating back over 11,000 years. Okay, so this is like a native Alaskan tribe, is the Tlingits. Yeah, like, like Inuits. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, the name uh, Tlingit means people of the tides. These uh, and these people believe that there is a shape-shifting demon named uh, Kush. How'd you say it? Kushtaka. Kushtaka, who is a cross between a man and an otter. Uh, it is said to lure people. Well, you know, there's to- not a lot of people up there, so you got to start breeding. You might just start doing with otters. Oh, <laughs> had had to go there. <laughs> I'm just hey, they said it was a cross between a human and an otter. There's only one yeah. way for that to happen. So. Um, the shape-shifting demon otter 
is said to lure people to their impending doom by attracting lost people to the water by portraying children or women who are screaming for help. Um, well, that's terrifying. It, that is terrifying. It is also said that when the otter man captures these lost people, it then steals their souls. It is a folklore that has been that has never been proven, but it's still a frightening thought to say the least. So, um, you know, you've got not only do you have to look out for you know Bigfoot and aliens, but you have this shape shifting demon otter that will steal your soul. Uh, so it's a you know the wilderness it poses as a, a drowning or frightened man like woman or child on the shore of yeah. a lake. So you know Alaska is a pretty frightening place. I you know not somewhere you want to walk around at night. Jeez. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on to more theories of the Alaska Triangle, one that is just kind of bizarre, but you know this one while kind of out there, kind of. You know, at some point, might pieces of it might be proven true. So there's this theory called the Black Pyramid Legend. So um, nobody really knows what this means or if it even exists at all, but there is an obscure legend that a black pyramid twice the size of the Great Pyramid of Giza is buried deep beneath Alaska around the Mount McKinley area. Uh, and what's more, the tale came out pretty recently, 1992. Um, so... And it, this this pyramid under the ground was it, it's not just fabricated by someone. It I think it was discovered by geologists. Okay, um, so it wasn't just like some guys like, well, I got a. Th-. It wasn't the ancient aliens guy like, well, there's a pyramid under the ground there somewhere. Yeah, no. Um, so there was actually a report that ran on Anchorage's Channel 13 that uh, was talking to three scientists that announced that they had accidentally discovered an unexplainable structure below the ground, which they located by using seismic recording equipment. So, um, and there's a guy by the name of Douglas Mutschler. It's a tough name to say. He says, geologists had used the detonation to undertake a seismographic study of the Earth's crust, only to find a pyramid structure larger than Cheops underground somewhere west of Mount McKinley. Mustler recalls that the local NBC affiliate ran a story announcing the structure's discovery about six months after the detonation, but when he attempted to follow up with the station to get a copy of the story, they denied that the story had ever run and asserted that they certainly didn't have copies to provide. He then called relatives to track down copies of the story that had run on other stations, but apparently no one else had run the story other than channel 13. So do they have other people that have seen it though? Like, so it wasn't just like him saying, yeah, it ran on the local news. And then the local news is all of a sudden saying it doesn't exist. So, you know, it wasn't clear. I, I assume, you know, other people must've seen this, but it's, uh, you know, I guess we don't know the state of mind of this Douglas Mutzler. I mean, he could have, I guess, dreamt this up, but I think there's, there's other people that have mentioned this, uh, black pyramid. Um, well, in so, that, that method of um, doing seismographs is really pretty accurate for finding like man-made structures or structures that yep. appear to be man-made because it just, whenever you're well, taking like a, a, whenever you're looking at the ground, you can tell when something's man-made because you don't see things in straight lines or yeah. shapes Yep. that you, you well, know, just it, don't find that in nature. So there's there's more people that come have come forward that talk about this pyramid, including retired military personnel. Okay. So 
actually, um, this Douglas, uh, what I say his name? Mushler. Mushler, yeah, Mushler. He he wrote a letter to uh, he wrote a letter in June twenty second, twenty twelve, to a woman named Linda Howe. She's a in the UFO community. She's a pretty famous researcher. She I've actually I've seen her on History Channel shows. Okay. So she, you know, she's not when it comes to she, UFOs. She quote unquote knows her stuff. Yeah, she. I mean, she's been on. I've seen her on Ancient Aliens before and shows like that. She's probably been on um, Coast to Coast. Yeah, he. Uh, this is the exact letter that he wrote to her. Um, my name is Douglas A. Muscular, uh, USA retired military, and during my service tour in Alaska, I was informed of a pyramid under the land in Alaska. There's other information concerning this that came to my attention after it was reported to us in 1992. I have tried to pass this info to others, but have not heard any response to my information. I assure you I'm telling you the truth about this, and I think that is being kept quiet by our government. As the news was buried, the very next day it was brought to my attention. If you can help me get this info out, uh, if you can help help me get this info out to you, please call me so I can talk to you about this. My phone number is, uh, that's not shared. It's redacted. yeah, the whole story is pretty interesting, and this can be verified with your contacts. I'm assured of that, as I do not have them and came up with zero from the news people there. I'll tell you the whole story if you're interested. I've only contacted a couple people, but I've not heard back from any of them. I'm wondering if my emails are getting through to them, or is this an old story that has no interest to news reporters? Thank you for your time in this matter. So he writes to this woman, She, you know, this UFO it seems researcher. very passionate and desperate. Yeah. But like in a way of he knows something. He knows something. Apparently he's a um he was a he's a retired US Army counterintelligence warrant officer. So um later on on July twenty sixth of twenty twelve, Linda Howe added to the mystery on the late night conspiracy radio show Coast to Coast AM. That evening, Howe broadcast a pre recorded interview with Doug the retired counterintelligence warrant officer who provided many of the initial facts about the pyramid and first alleged the site's current connection with the U S military. So that was um, probably the first time it's been really brought into a large audience then. Yeah. So, um, obviously to play devil's advocate too, there's people here that said that Linda Howe is fabricating this whole story to just make money. So, so like this, Okay, like she invented the whole backstory of the guy, then the guy reaching out to her. Now she's going to be the person who's going to help him break yeah, it. Yeah, I think she she's not fabricating the Black Pyramid legend, but I there's there's people are you know contend you know saying that she fabricated this this person. Okay, to like drum up to drum up interest in the case by yeah. making it kind of like have that sexy conspiracy theory behind it. Yeah, so I think, you know, from what I read, there is some type of structure that they've discovered with, you know, seismic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it is this interview that she had with Doug real? I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it just adds to the lore of uh, the Alaska Triangle. You have a, It's another one of those weird government something's going on that we don't know about. Um, so uh, that is... That was another interesting theory. And, you know, I'm going to wrap it up with the final one. And this one, while it, you know, it's out there again, um, it's, 
it has more to do with, you know, maybe we don't understand everything that goes on with earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the final theory I'm going to talk about with you, Joe, <laughs> is called, they're called energy vortexes. So have you heard of these? Yes, I had. No, no, I definitely. Yes, I have. And I believe to some extent that they exist. Yeah. Okay. And just um, because there are completely provable instances, like they have it on video, where you can hit certain spots on Earth, and because of how our molten iron core is rotating and how the Earth yep. works and then being blasted with solar wind all the time, and all these things are occurring all the time, that you'll have these planes that just go through certain areas and their compositions are flickering out like crazy, and it happens regularly, and there's lots of stuff that just... Yeah, like complete anomalies that change everything that we know about physics or whatever for short periods of times or blasts. Yeah, so um, the the theory about energy vortexes doesn't just encompass the Alaska Triangle, as I'll I'll mention in a few minutes here. There's a lot of spaces around the planet that people allege have these vortexes, but the Alaska Triangle comprises one of these so-called they're called vile vortices or geographical areas around the planet populated um, or postulated by an American researcher and cryptozoologist, Ivan T. Sanderson. Okay. Um, so vile vortices are claimed to exhibit extreme electric, magnetic, and electromagnetic anomalies, as well as energy vortices called ley lines, which are theorized subterranean electromagnetic currents. So, you know... It, it, I'm not an expert in any of that, but you're reading it, you know, it sounds, you know, they use a lot of scientific. big words. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds legit. We're going to call it legit. No. So, um, one of the most famous, uh, vile vertices and, you know, I want to make sure that I'm saying this right. I, I believe they're called vile vortices. Vortices. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one of the, the, the notorious vile vortices is the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also said to exist in places as far fl- flung as uh, the Algerian megaliths to the south of Timbuktu, the Indus Valley in Pakistan, uh, Hamakulia volcano in Hawaii, the Devil's Sea near Japan, the South Atlantic, and both the North and South Poles. So people think these are all over the world. And... So w- you when know, you were in Hawaii, is that volcano near where you were at at all? Or? I honestly had never heard of that volcano okay. before we did research for this. So, so it didn't pop up when you were actually doing your hike out there? No. Okay. I uh, was not aware of it. Um, they, they go on to say uh, various famous places such as Stonehenge, Easter Island, and the pyramids in Egypt are also said to lie on, vi- on vor- vortexes. And it's claimed by some that these monuments were you know, erected there because of those vortexes. So you think you got to think of it this way too. Um, I believe that that could be very true because our brains work on magnetic frequency. So mm-hmm. it could be totally a subconscious thing of you looking like, why do they, these people build this thing here? Like just yeah. in this spot where they just subconsciously, like they get to that spot and had some feeling of euphoria or something that said, you know, like, holy cow, this is a spiritual place. You know, the early people would attribute to some sort of spiritual aspect and they just erect some monument there. Or was it aliens? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's funny you mention that. Um, 
These energy vortexes are said to create all sorts of strange phenomena. They are thought to affect humans in various physical, mental, and emotional ways, such as causing visions, demonstrate, uh, demonstrating miraculous powers of healing, and generating spurts of creativity or profound epiphanies. So, you know, along the lines of what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, look, maybe- you can look up on the internet right now the stuff they're doing with magnets just to, like, help people with depression and think like they're using powerful electromagnets just on your temple. Like you wear a helmet for like a certain period of time and it helps realign your brain a little bit. It's like a mini bit. It's like a resetting your computer almost. Well, and now now here's uh, this is an interesting thing could, which could explain maybe why people are going missing in them. Um, A lot of people believe that they can tap into higher selves when at these vortexes, these places can also allegedly induce dissonance, you know, they can disorientate you, confusion, and both visual and auditory hallucinations, as well as um, your kind of electrical, it causes electrical instrumentation to go haywire or malfunction. So, like you said, the spinning of a compass or maybe radio equipment, you know, goes on the fritz and you can't make... Well, and I've know, heard, I've heard too, that these can coincide with like weak or heavy spots of gravitational pull. I mean, there's yeah. certain places, and this is another proven thing, there's certain places where gravity has a larger effect. So you tie this in with people going missing. So this now becomes less of a paranormal instance and more of just, I almost put this right in the category with like the terrain and extreme weather. Yeah. But it's just in addition to those things. So like you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's already kind of tough because it's cold and windy and there's storms and stuff. Then you throw mm-hmm. in vile vortices that disorient you yeah that's a recipe for failure right there of getting lost and not knowing what you're doing or making bad decisions definitely and if you're already in a terrain that's you know hard to navigate and it's a lot of hazards that that's not gonna that you know that's gonna just attribute to more people you know falling and injuring themselves um so if uh, the vortexes, energy vortexes, isn't far enough out there for you, there's even a theory within the theory on oh, the vortexes. There always is. <laughs> when is there not theories on top of theories on top of theories? So people believe that these energy vortexes are actually doorways into spiritual dimensions or gateways to other realms. All of these things could explain why people and vehicles such as ships or airplanes go missing in these regions at such an astonishing rate. So some people think, you know, it's like Stargate. Oh, okay. Just, they're just passing you, through a doorway. They, they're passing through a doorway and then they're gone. They're in, you know, another dimension. Well, that's cool. So, <laughs> yeah, I see a movie. Oh, well, they already made it. Yeah, Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a fantastic movie. So there so you have to is... watch Stargate, Harry and the Hendersons, and Beethoven. Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> Those, that's, that's what we've le- gleaned from this episode. Those are the three movies you got to watch. Um, wrapping up energy vortexes, there are some scientists that say there might be some shred of scientific evidence of this. Um, they say that within the Alaska Triangle, um, there's a large concentration of magnetic anomalies there's some areas within the triangle where if you have a compass on you, it can be off as much as 30 degrees. So wow, and and that's yeah, and even a, that's even if you're adjusting for the declination. Yeah. So like you you'll you have adjusted your declination, and then all of a sudden your compass will just be way off. Yep. 
Are so, they yeah, saying there's... that it's the rock there? Because I know, like, when I, again, I'll just mention Boundary Waters, there's such high concentration of iron in the mountains there that it, that can, could it can throw it off a bit. Yep. So, um, and then, you know, on top of the anomalies uh, they're seeing with their compasses, there, there are uh, reports of rescue workers in the area reporting auditory hallucinations, um, commonly describing sounds of angry swarms of bees, and then feeling unusually disorientated or lightheaded. Some readings of the area in the supposed Alaska Triangle have indeed produced very various unusual anomalies and spikes in electromagnetic activity. So you've got, you've got rescue workers in these areas too, also experiencing physical issues. So, you know, there, there's something going on there. Yeah. And that's again, a group of people that have <clears throat> experience and credibility in that area are now saying similar stories. And that's where you again, start getting away from it's no longer coincidence because yep. it's happening too much. Now it just to, there's also obviously most um, scientists, you know, and PhD types have uh, put a lot of skepticism up about this theory. So well, that's because they're covering it up. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people in the mainstream, uh, you know, science do, do not believe there's energy vortices in the triangle, but uh, there's a you know a good chunk of people that. That do, and then you know, there's people that have actually experienced issues out in the triangle. So, um, yeah, so th- that's kind of a uh, beginner's guide to the Alaska Triangle. There's a lot going on there. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We gotta we gotta like wrap it up. I mean, we'll go on forever. I, yeah. I think it's Otter Man. It's got to be Otter Man. You think it's Otter? Man? It's Otter Man just seducing everybody. Every I... one of the stories is him shape shifting <clears throat> into the person reporting it. I am a big <laughs> X-Files fan, so I'm going to go with alien government cover-up. Alien government. So the, the alien base in Mount Hayes? Yeah, I think they, they must be abducting people for alien tests, and they take them back to the big alien base in the mountain. Yeah, maybe like most of the triangle is just a huge base. What if what <laughs> if the triangle is like an entire spacecraft, like the Black Pyramid is like the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of it is just undetectable because it's so big you're just detecting the whole thing to to bring this back to you know the the world we live in for a second i do find it hard to believe sixteen thousand people have gone missing in this area even when you factor in the terrain and the weather and you know maybe people are inexperienced it's what could possibly be causing that many people it's that it's that volume and then in part of the research, I was looking for, okay, they went missing in the 80s. Did they find them in the 90s and go, oh, this is that person? Like, they don't seem to ever turn up. And they once in a while each, find but find it, remains, but it's very rare. It's very rare, and it's usually, like, right outside of a town. Yep. And it's usually very, like, oh, it's very clear this happened. Like, they wandered off and fell off this thing, and it was in the winter. So, like, they found them in the spring when the snow melted. But like yeah. you have some significant like entire airplanes and you have entire boats and people in like very small air like lots of people in very small areas of the triangle going missing and then you yep. aren't finding any trace of them at all. And that's no. again where you have 16,000 people. You feel like at this point in time you would start exponentially uncovering remains because yeah. they just the body count just keeps piling I think- up. 
I think one thing working against you is, like we said, how, how vast it is. How I vast think. and with the glaciers, the volcanic activity, like is the terrain shifting and changing so much? Like, yeah. Is it just getting buried? Who knows? I don't know. I think, uh, I think, you, you know, I could definitely sit around and talk about this for 24 Yeah, we're going to get a beer off show and, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, wrapping up the episode, you know, obviously most of our episodes are pretty, uh, you know, down to earth and plausible. We yeah. wanted to have a little fun with this one and there's a lot of weird theories out there. And Oh, I love the weird theories. I'm right there with you at the X-Files. Like it's just, it's fun to think about these mind expanding things that could be occurring. And then right when you start to think there's no way in hell, they'll declassify some document from like a super smart PhD. It's like, oh yeah, we did some uh, psychological telepathy testing in this secret base in Alaska. It's like, well, holy shit. Like, isn't the uh, movie, the men who stare at goats about that? Yeah. That was based on real. Yeah. A real thing. They did like, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was a George Clooney movie. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that like it wasn't credible until you had to mention it was like George Clooney yeah. brought credibility to the whole cause. He did. I mean, <laughs> Men Who Stare at Goats is a movie I would not probably normally see, but then you With see his how George amazing Clooney's salt in it. and pepper hair. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, Joe, is like, there anything, well, with that, with that, um, is there anything else you want to No, I would just like to thank everyone for tuning in. This is definitely going to be the longest running episode that we have. So I def- if it's totally falling along the lines of the Rogan, uh, show, I mean, it's just such a fun topic. It can just go on. Uh, but thanks for listening in and, and yeah, please, please share with your friends and, and keep it going. I'd like to also thank Verger for their continued sponsorship of our show. Uh, they're helping our production quality. If you couldn't tell over the last few episodes, so it's going really well. Yeah. Um, and like Joe said, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We have a YouTube channel now, uh, leave comments about the show. We wanted to have a lot of fun with this episode. So, um, if you have any additional theories of the Alaska triangle, let us, let us hear. Or about if them. you got some cool stories, I would love to do a quick, like added show if we like have a couple people that have some neat stories or some fun things that really get us um we could just yeah. hop on and do like a 20 minute on like a good fan uh fan theory or something like that so yeah so if any of you have um some actual experience in the alaska triangle and would be willing to you know do a quick uh call with us we we'd love to talk to you so absolutely uh, until next time uh thank you again for tuning in and we'll talk to you again soon